What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Before you mash that fast forward button to move to the beginning of today's episode, I'd like to quickly tell you about some ways you can support the show and everything that I'm doing right now. You can support the show on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. Again, just go on over to patreon.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. Become a patron for as little as $5 a month. Or you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and a review. It's incredibly important with the way iTunes works. So if you have a second, please leave a rating and or review and subscribe on iTunes. Uh, you can listen to the show on Spotify, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, Google Play, and wherever else you get your podcasts, you can check out chasethomaspodcast.com. That is on my previous episode, a link to my newsletter, and all my articles that I've written. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at chase double underscore Thomas. You can like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash chase Thomas writer, or you can just tell a friend you found this independent sports podcast that they should check out too. Thank you for listening. You're all the best. And I think we've reached the point in this intro where my uncle Darren can play me in. All right, let's go. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, Tom Westerholm, Papa Tom Westerholm, I should say, of MassLive.com is here. He is here on the first beautiful day in Atlanta in like the last like 73 days, but it's not beautiful where Tom is because I'm staring at him in the elements in a blanket and just unbelievable conditions. I, this is why Tom's one of my favorite guests. He goes above and beyond, even if he's visibly uncomfortable wherever he's at right now <laughs> to come on my podcast. So Tom, I appreciate it. Yeah, man. Thanks for uh, having me on this freezing podcast. Yeah, man. Uh, it's been longer than I thought it was since we last talked on here. It's uh, It's been a bit. Have we even talked since Hayward got injured? I feel like that was a little bit ago, but uh, I don't think <laughs> we did. Well, well, it was the start of the season, so yeah. that mm-hmm. uh, You may have heard one or two Celtics writers mention that uh, he broke his uh, ankle on the uh, first five minutes of the season. That's like... That's like that's get turning into one of those phrases where you could capitalize every letter because it's like it's like the event, which is Gordon Hayward broke his ankle five minutes into the season. So, mm. yeah. Uh, well, yeah. No, it's uh, it's been a little while. Well, you can't only get Hayward stuff like that from your area of the woods. You can get it from the Salt Lake Tribune, <laughs> where I believe it caused a little stir, little column on Hayward's departure and uh that they're okay. They're actually not mad that he's gone, and they're actually really happy that they have Donovan Mitchell. So yeah, um, yeah, not mad. Got- oh my god. Yeah, not mad at all. Um, and Celtics Twitter also not mad at all. Um, mm-hmm. the uh, <laughs> I. Honestly, like I spent most of yesterday morning just cracking up reading the responses. Um, the guy clearly wanted to get a reaction, and he got a reaction. Yep. So I know, you know, shout out to him for, for I guess doing his job. Um, I thought the article itself was pretty gross, um, but you know, I mean, the, the, and the thing that I said on Twitter was, look, if 
if any Utah person who's like, we're actually not that sad that Gordon Hayward is gone. We have Donovan Mitchell. We have this fun young team. Like that makes total sense to me, honestly. Like I, you know, and, and any Utah fan that wants to boo Hayward, I mean, that makes even more sense. Like I, you know, I totally get all of that. Like he left the team, like you, he was your guy. Now he's not your guy. Now you've got a new guy who's Donovan Mitchell and he looks awesome. Like that all makes total sense. Um, just kind of the the rewriting of the narrative that like Hayward, you know, didn't say, you know, didn't give Utah any credit on his way out the door. And, you know, the guy kind of suggesting that like maybe it was OK for jazz fans to, uh, you know, not be not feel bad for Hayward about his injury. Like, I don't know. There was some stuff in there that I just kind of felt like was pretty gross. But the overall sentiment at which, you know, Donovan Mitchell is awesome and this young team is awesome and fun that I totally understand. I agree. And I think he just like it just was it felt forced is how I it 100 percent did like it was I don't think he believed what he was writing there about the Hayward stuff. And I just Hayward's not one of those guys like and he just downplayed him going to play for his college coach. Like that's a yeah. big deal. I think he's a, still a Utah Jazz if ba- Brad Stevens is not a Boston Celtic head coach. Like, yeah, I think that's a huge thing. But downplaying it like it was nothing was just silly and that he did. not It wasn't a hard decision for him and everything else. I I just think that part was forced. And like you said, I think if he had just focused on it actually turned into a blessing. We have this great player now and we have a fun young team. Like it's uh, I, I don't understand why he felt the need to just go after Hey, but actually I do know. Um, I think if I had to guess that piece did really well. Yes. Yesterday. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and guess it did pretty well. So I know why. Yeah, I uh, I specifically avoided writing anything on it uh, for Mass Live um, because I knew how well it would do, and I would have just felt dirty grabbing all those uh, all those views. Um, there was one guy who doubled down um, on a on a different site that was basically like, "There was all this backlash, and actually, I think it's good. I think the article <laughs> was really good." And like his like reasoning was, he was like, um, "You know, everybody everybody doesn't want the little guy to act up." And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to be like, you know, I don't want to be just like cowed by these big markets. It's just like, Mm. oh, that was, I almost thought that was even more of a take like that. Um, somehow the, uh, the deep state, uh, Celtics media was (laughs) trying to keep the little guy, Utah jazz down. Um, yeah. Uh, I have, I have no more takes on the subject. Is Brian Scalabrini in the deep state Celtics media? Because I feel like if we had to pick one person to definitely be in it, it would be Scalabrini for me. Or yeah. Chris Mannix. Uh, Brian George Soros Scalabrini, as we call him, mm-hmm. around the okay. uh, around the TD Garden. There you go. <laughs> um, you just wrote about Marcus Smart, and he thinks he might be back for the Eastern Conference Finals. If Se- they get semifinals. that far. Semifinals. Semifinals, yeah. Um, why does he think the Boston Celtics are getting to the Eastern Conference semifinals this year? <laughs> well, you know, he said that uh, he said that he, if they uh, if they can make it, or I don't think he actually said uh, if they make it that far, but um, that has kind of been the sentiment. Like it, it's well, that's like the timeline. Yeah, exactly. And you know, it kind of feels like I, I wrote this in my thing. It kind of feels like a video game where you can unlock different levels and then get different players back. So if you get through the first round, you unlock the Kyrie and Marcus Smart. And if you get through the Eastern Conference Finals, you unlock the Hayward narrative, even though he's probably not coming back either way. Um, yeah, no, it's <laughs> I don't think the Celtics are making it to the Eastern Conference Finals. I think they're going to have a really tough first round matchup without Kyrie, um, it, assuming that Kyrie doesn't come back. Technically, his timeline does line up for him to return, you know, maybe during the, the first rounds. But that doesn't take into account um, any kind of, 
getting back in shape and sort of recovering from, you know, a, a literal knee procedure, which is not a small thing. Um, but they got, got new, they got good news on that, right? Like that turned out to be a lot better than yes. the early feels, if early fears were towards it, uh, Kyrie's knee. Yeah, it did. All they had to do was remove a tension wire, which apparently was causing the um, discomfort and, and, you know, sort of like inflammation there. Um, he got, so we got that removed. The knee was structurally sound, which is obviously really good news. That just means that he needs to heal from this procedure and then be good to go. But, um, you know, even so you're talking about a, you know, a procedure on your knee and you're talking about, you know, a recovery time and you're going to have to get back in shape to be, you know, whatever percent that he will come back at. So, um, I don't think it's impossible that they could win a first round series. Um, um, right now they're faced up against the Heat. The Heat obviously have, you know, a great system. You know, they play good defense. They, you know, they run some nice offensive sets. Um, but I do think the Celtics could at least play with them. They've got Al Horford sort of rounding back into shape. You know, he's obviously really skilled, really talented. Um, Terry Rozier has just been out of his mind. And Jason Tatum is, you know, every couple of nights he just kind of reminds you that this guy is going to be like a, a 20 plus point per game scorer for a very long time in this league. So they've got talent even without Kyrie. I think there are matchups in the Eastern conference first rounds that could give them problems, but I also don't think that it's impossible that they get there and get Marcus smart back in the semis. Yeah. And I think the heat's going to be a fun matchup. It's going to be a bloodbath. And uh, when you're talking about the heat, like, Zach Lowe is responsible for this, but now when I watch them, I always look out for Kelly Olynyk's handoffs and yep. just his fakes. And I, I, I did not realize it beforehand because the only thing I used to like zone in on with the Heat was Wayne Ellington because I just love the fact that that dude, when he touches the ball, it's going up. Yep. Like he's shooting like 10 threes a game and it's just, he knows his job and it's, I don't know, he's one of my favorite chuckers in the league, but it, it works. And, uh, I don't know. I, I think uh, Marcus Morris, James Johnson battle is going to yep. be fun, but he's a little banged up too. Possibly a literal rather... battle. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, I want that. Uh, Semi Ojale <laughs> plays it a way that I think he's going to disrupt some things. Jalen yep. Brown is going to get on Dwayne Wade's nerves. I think, uh, yeah, it could be fun. Goran Dragic, definitely going to take it personally that he has to go against Terry Rozier and not Kyrie Irving in the first round. <laughs> I think he wants Kyrie in round one. I would want to see those two go at it. Um, yeah, but I still don't think the Heat really have a shot getting past the Celtics in the first round. I really don't. But I do think it'd be interesting if the Heat go up like 3-1. Do Like the Celtics have to just like, all right, Kyrie, we, we, like this might be over unless you come back. Like, is there a possibility where it, they would hold him back for round two if they can make it that far? But if they get behind a certain amount of games in that series, they just get off to a bad start or something. They're like, all right, we have to put him in because... I think even if they went to game seven, I think, I, I mean, you have a better read on this, but I I don't think Boston fans would react well if they did go down round one, even with all the injuries. Like, can they sell that if they go down to the heat in round one? Yeah, at 100 easily. Um, and listen, the Celtics are not going to, if they have any doubts whatsoever that Kyrie is fully ready, fully healthy, fully good to go, they're going to sit him because the Celtics kind of realize that this is not the year they're building for. Like this, obviously, being really good this year after Hayward's injury would be a huge, um, it would be just like an unbelievable amount of icing on a cake, you know, that that would be phenomenal for them. But 
they realize that next year's team is the one they've been building for. Like they know that if you bringing back a fully healthy Kyrie Irving and a fully healthy Gordon Hayward, that's a team that can potentially compete for an, for a championship. I mean, they're this year's team has been so good without Hayward. Hayward is a perfect two way player, a perfect fit for Steven's system. That team's really, really good. Tatum, Jalen Brown, these guys will have more experience under their belt. Next year is their focus. Obviously, they would love to have Kyrie back. They would love to make a deep playoff run. Um, and I think that there's a good chance that if the series got to 3-1, then you'd be looking at a timeline that actually is a little more friendly to Kyrie returning. So, yeah, I mean, he he might come back anyway at that point, um, which would potentially look a little sketchy um, just because it might, it might look like they were pushing him. But, you know, a three- or four-game series does actually put another week onto Irving's timeline. Yeah. He's supposed to be out three to six weeks. Um, three weeks lines up with like the start of the first round. So like four games in, you're talking about like four, four and a half weeks. That's, that's pretty conducive. Um, so they might bring him back at that point, but if they have any doubts whatsoever about his health, about his long-term health, they're going to keep him out for the rest of the season and have absolutely no qualms about it. Celtics fans who don't really pay attention might be a little upset that they went down in the first round, but anybody who's been watching this team, anybody you know around the NBA who's you know being intellectually honest with themselves realizes that this team has a ceiling that probably is not the NBA championship, and as such, they should push you know they, they should push all their chips in next year as opposed to this year trying to like bring somebody back and maybe try to keep things alive for you know another round or whatever you spoke about Rozier a little bit what have you seen I've seen a little bit of him in place of Kyrie but he's always felt like Reggie Jackson to me hmm. and I like he's good enough to be like a 20th best point guard in the league but there's just a ceiling it's kind of like I don't want to mention his name but Dennis Schroeder Brandon Knight <laughs> 2.0 has that same sort of ceiling and I just I wonder if there's going to be a team that watches Rozier down the stretch here and are like oh we need a point guard let's go get Rozier let's see what uh we have to offer up to Ainge I mean Ainge would obviously expect nothing less than a top 10 player in return for Terry but <laughs> I think it's uh I haven't been blown away I think I see where you like him as like a third guard and it works in Boston, but it seems like he's one of those guys where you move him out of that incubator and it looks a lot worse. You could be right. The thing about Rozier is if you start breaking down the tools, there's just a ton that makes sense there. So one, he has like outlier speed. Like he's really, really fast. Um, he's added a lot of muscle, so he's really strong now. Um, he, what the biggest thing that he needs to do is fix his finishing around the rim. If he can start doing that, he's going to just be an unbelievable offensive player because he's already got decent vision. Um, he's not, you know, prime Ricky Rubio or anything like that. He's not like dishing stuff <laughs> behind his head, but he's yeah. but he's fine. He's perfectly acceptable. He'll give you nine assists as a starter sometimes, you know, like he'll he'll facilitate the offense just fine. Um, and besides that, the Celtics run a lot of dribble handoffs and stuff like that. So they actually like, if they have a point guard who averages five or six assists, that works out pretty well for them because they don't mind having that guy try to score. Um, so, but, but the biggest thing is that he's hitting threes at a really high clip right now. And with his athleticism, that just makes him a, that just makes him a really big problem. Um, if you have a guy who can dribble around a screen, hit a three behind the screen, force a guy to, you know, the next time down, come over the screen when you've got that kind of speed he just needs to be able to finish at the rim and he's going to be a three-level scorer he can hit from mid-range he can hit from three-point range um, he's just a bad finisher right now and he, he's been working on that and I think we'll see you know as he gets more comfortable better production you know around the rim 
I think that's, you know, and, and then defensively, obviously, he's just a huge pest. He's so fast. He's got long arms. He just gets into you. He's not quite Marcus Smart. He's not quite, you know, that throw himself all over the court kind of guy, but he will lock up. He's a, he's a really good defender, um, you know, especially at his position. And I think when you just kind of put all that stuff together, you know, I, I don't know what his ceiling is in the NBA. I think it's still too early to tell because realistically, he's been in the league a little bit and he's a little bit older than some other point guards. Um, but this is his first season getting consistent minutes. You know, last year during the postseason, he was contributing a little bit and everybody was like, oh, Terry Rozier, he's contributing like good for that guy. This year, he's actually running the show quite often. Um, you know, he's often the lead guard in second units. He's been the lead guard in first units on a team that's just won four games in a row without Kyrie Irving. So he's really good. He's not that efficient right now shooting. Um, you know, I think that will come. It, again, it kind of goes back to his finishing ability, but just the three-point shot, the athleticism, the defense, and then just being good enough at some of the other stuff. I, 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 think, his, I think his ceiling is pretty high. Interesting. But I will also uh, say, I would not be surprised mm -hmm. if the Celtics chose Marcus Smart over him. If they, really? Yeah, so they're going to have to choose one of the two. Yeah. And I think that the problem is going to be that Rozier wants to be a starter and you can, mm -hmm. you know, you can see why he's got, you know, plenty of, uh, he's got plenty of skill that way. Um, smart, I think is pretty happy being a sixth man who gets starter minutes and really contributes at a high level. And the Celtics, you know, have Kyrie Irving, <laughs> like Terry Rozier is really good, but I think that they obviously would rather keep Kyrie Irving around. So if it comes down to a choice between the two and contractually, I think it's going to, um, just in terms of cap space, I, I think that they would end up going with smart. So Rozier's gone after this year then, because he might be smart this summer, which you have to do if you're going to keep him. I, I think you have to move him, right? I think that there's, and, and this is not, this isn't sourced info. This is just like me kind of looking at the landscape. I think there's a reasonable chance that the Celtics try to move up in the draft using Rozier as a draft chip and then try hmm. to bring in somebody that can contribute at a high level now. Um, you, know, I, you know, I've got plenty of guys that I would have in mind. I just think that that would make some sense because they're going to need that cost controlled guy. Yeah. Um, they don't need, a, you know, th if they're going to try to go for another star, they're going to go for an Anthony Davis type. They're not going to go for like a mid tier kind of guy. So I think, you know, bringing in, um, I think, you know, trading down for Rozier and trying to get somebody that you can have, you know, for the next four years on a reasonable contract that will help you for those four years on a reasonable contract is would, would be a reasonable way to go. Oh, God, it's going to be the Suns. The Suns are going <laughs> to trade for Rozier. McDonough has the history with Boston. They need a point guard. Well, oh but they, they don't have like a, another pick besides their own, right? I, I, uh, they have like four picks in this draft. Interesting. Yeah, it'll probably be the Suns then. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, yeah, I actually, I I was talking about this with Alex Kungu of, of Celtics blog on Twitter at one point, but I actually would have my eyes on the Spurs. Um, I think they could do a really oh. good job with Rozier. Um, if they, especially if they ended up kind of lower in that Western Conference bracket, I haven't taken a look at the Western Conference in a little bit, but I think they're the sixth seed right now if the playoffs started today. You could get a good guy in this draft around then. I mean, this draft has a lot of role players, I think. So, um, I, I think that he would do really good things there, and I think that uh, having that floor spacing from San Antonio's point guard would be a really nice, uh, a nice addition. I don't know what you do with Dejounte Murray then. At that, I mean, you have to move him if that's what they if they bring in Rozier. Maybe that's who the cost control guy is. They flip uh, Dejounte Murray to Boston and uh, they get Rozier back. That would probably be the deal. Where, that's not a. That's not Murray a would have to go to Boston. Yeah, um, I think you could. You, I think you could potentially play them together some. Um, I don't, I don't Murray think, and Rozier? I don't think that they are necessarily skill sets that don't line up. Hmm. I, I could see them playing together regardless. Okay. The Spurs would be an interesting team for, uh, I, I think for both sides. 
Why has Greg Monroe been such a disaster on Boston? His plus minus numbers. I didn't realize they'd fallen as bad as they are. Like, I just assumed it'd be like an Aaron Baines thing where it was going to be fine. He plays 10 to 12 minutes. Like, he plays with the bench guys, so his num- his on-off numbers aren't going to be great either way. But, like, it's bad. Why, why does he suck so much in Boston? <laughs> I, w- I would not say that he has sucked necessarily. Um, he's... Okay. So he's not like a perfect fit, obviously, because Stevens likes guys who can like switch and who can uh, go out to the mm-hmm. perimeter and cover the pick and roll efficiently. Um, and Monroe will never ever <laughs> that guy. Um, yeah. But he does rebound, and that's that's a mm-hmm. big thing on that second unit. You know, he'll he'll put an end to possessions if he's around the basket. And um, I, I think that also just offensively, he's he's been a boost. There have been games, okay. uh, obviously, like the plus minus doesn't look good, and and you know that second unit can really struggle at times. But um, there have been games where it's been really crucial to have him in there with the second unit, just to have that guy who can score around the basket, who can facilitate out of you know sort of that mid post area as a passer, um, and who can just kind of collapse things inward. Um, there 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 have been a couple of games where Stevens has even said, "Look, we know that." paraphrasing, but we know that Monroe isn't a great defender, but we just needed his offense in there because it's just so effective. So um, I wouldn't necessarily call him a disaster. I wouldn't say that he's somebody that the Celtics are focused on keeping next year, but he Mm -hmm. has been um, fine in stretches. Yeah. Is it time for Danny Ainge to really worry about that Markel Fultz for Jason Tatum trade? Is it time? Is he sweating as of right now that is he already regretting that switch? No, <laughs> I, I'm joking. I'm, I, I'm no, facetious. but actually, I uh, I do enjoy this argument because yeah. one Celtics uh, site that or one uh, Boston media site um, that had an article was like, uh oh, Celtics fans, Markel Fultz is looking really <laughs> yeah. good. And I just like, like, okay, can we stop looks, there? He didn't look very good. I, I well, well, yeah, like, for sure. <laughs> he's a fun story, but like that game, if you watch the game, it, it didn't look great. He looked he was I mean, uh, high he used rusty. <laughs> um, yeah, no, he's definitely rusty. But like that, that that's great. Markel Fultz is fun. He's a fun player. The Celtics also got a really good player. I I hate this narrative so much. Markel Fultz. I hope he's really good. I think he could be. And also, Jason Tatum is very good at basketball. It's fine. It's amazing that Tatum still gets open in the corner. Like I watched that <laughs> Suns game the other night, and like he's shooting almost like sixty percent from the corner. And he still finds ways because it's not like he's a super fast. Like he just he finds ways to just get in the right spot. And there was this moment where Jay Triano like stomps his foot in the corner. If you go back and watch one of Tatum's corner threes yeah. the other night, he just he's wide open. And of course, it's nothing but net. But like it just there was a mess up in the rotations, and he just got wide open again. And it's just like Triano knew before the shot was even going up. He's like, "How is this guy wide open in the corner? He's gonna hit this." And then he hits it. But yeah, Tatum is uh, he's. He's smooth. Yes. He's fun to watch because he is just a smooth, smooth player. He's not getting open in the corners as much as he used to. Um, That I think a big part of the reason he was open there is because he was facing the 30th ranked defense in the NBA. I mean, that's possible. (laughs) That could be a thing. Um, But yeah, no, I mean, the Celtics do run a lot of action kind of in the middle of the floor and they like to space him out on the sides um, to sort of, you know, get to to take advantage and to create that spacing. So that that's one of the things that actually has helped Rozier is that there are lanes to the basket because everybody's starting to be like, yeah, we should probably guard that 45% rookie shooter from three. So I'm glad Josh Jackson's starting to do things, though. He's good. Yeah, I 
I wasn't. I was actually kind of down on him entering the draft. Um, I, yeah. I, I was. I wasn't totally certain about a, a guy who couldn't shoot, but all of a sudden he can kind of shoot. Um, so that's that's definitely a positive development. Obviously, he's a great athlete. Um, he made some really high level passes that didn't turn into assists the other night, um, which was all, which is always kind of depressing to see for a rookie because I mean it always helps to to be a rookie and get those stats and just kind of have that confidence. But he's but it, you know he's making really nice plays. He plays really hard. He's got a chip on his shoulder at all times. He's everything that. He's everything that we were told he was going to be coming into the draft, um, but also he can shoot a little bit, which is fun. Do you know who your reminds me of? Who's that? All right. Before people, like, freak out, I'm prefacing this. Like, Michael it's a very Jordan. Early, no, I mean, close. <laughs> okay. Very close. And you know what I mean by close is they played in close proximity to each other. Um, I, I'll just go ahead and say it. Jimmy Butler. Okay. <laughs> he reminds me of young Jimmy Butler. The way yep. he moves, he has a good spin move. Like he's good at finding his way into the lane. He's he can dribble now. Like I could see him being a point four like that, comfortable bringing the ball up from time to time. Like I think his shots actually going to get there. And Jimmy was obviously a non shooter coming to the league, and it took time, but like it worked out. And if you can get those wing guys, that's why he's so scary. To I mean, it it is so scary because those guys are either going to be like an MKG where it's just like what a disaster, or they turn into Kawhi, Paul George, right. those kind of guys where they turn into just all-star players year after year. Um, there's no middle ground, really. Yeah. And um, Jackson, I think, I, I don't know if he'll get to Jimmy Butler's level, but, I mean, he has a higher pedigree. It's not like Jimmy Butler was as touted coming to the league, and Jackson just, I don't know. That's who he reminded me of, and and I just, I mean, that's pretty good news for Suns fans because uh, Bender doesn't look like he's going to be a star. Marquise Chris is still really not good. And uh, I don't know. Devin Booker's fine, but. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. And, and, to, and to your point, you know, when you say that MKG is a disaster, I mean, that's still a useful NBA player. You know, that's still a guy who plays a ton of defense. Well, I mean, yeah, and then that's disaster in the pick uh, yeah, going yeah, yeah. number two overall. But that, but that's the nice thing about drafting these like high, like these high-level athletes who are wings, who have length, um, who can defend multiple positions, is that the floor is still a useful defensive player as long as they buy into concepts. And you know, mm-hmm. yes, I'm looking at you, Andrew Wiggins. But the, um, but like the disaster is that you got a guy who can't really shoot, but who can defend two through four. Like that's that's a very useful player. Like even if the pick doesn't always like work out at the star level that you were hoping for, and like you said. Jackson looks like he's going to like Jackson looks like he's pretty good. Um, I actually kind of like the Jimmy Butler comparison. Um, I think that he's got a long and this is the thing about comparing young players, right? Is that you're saying that this is like a this is a mold that he could potentially fit. Not yeah. this is who he is and definitely exactly. who he's going to turn into. He will have to work really, really, really hard to ever be as good as Jimmy Butler. But. He is a wing who can defend a lot of different positions, who plays hard, who can shoot a little bit and has some potential for growth there in his game. And there's reason to be like, hey, maybe that guy could be somebody like Jimmy Butler down the road. That's not crazy. It's just if, you know, obviously he's not there yet, but and he'll have to work hard to get there, but he could be there eventually. I don't think he has the humor that Butler <laughs> provides. That that worries me. Like Jimmy Butler just has a good sense of humor and his faces on the bench are top-notch at this point in his career i mean i think that was always his demeanor but i don't know if josh jackson has the uh he he has that in him to get to that level at least from a face perspective and just his uh level i'm a little concerned about that to be honest low potential face uh is our scouting report on josh jackson (laughs) (laughs) do you think the timberwolves could really miss the playoffs this year yeah i think (laughs) 
I will not make a single prediction about the Western Conference. I think they certainly could. Um, it, man, that would be such a disaster. Prediction. I don't think the Kings are going to be good down the stretch. They were playing Jakar. All right. Uh, is it Simpson or Sampson? Jakar Sampson down the stretch last night with Bruno Caboclo. Yeah. Those two are in the game together. I mean, yeah. I, I think the Kings yeah. might be pretty bad down the stretch. But outside of the the teams that actually are in the playoff picture, yeah, it's uh, a little complicated right now. It is. Uh, you know what would really help the Kings would be if they mm-hmm. had their draft pick next year. Um, <laughs> it's a tough blow. <laughs> Uh, I wish the Kings would just hire Sam Hankey already. Like I'm just ready. Like it's time things come. <laughs> they don't even need to. They don't. They honestly don't even need to. Like just like they're gonna be that bad for quite some time now. Like they're they're in the position. Just but hope- at least acquire picks. I want them to go the complete yeah. other way. The team that fleeced them. I mean, the general manager that fleeced them goes into power. That's what I want. <laughs> yeah. All right. Now that I could get behind. Yeah. He lives in California now, I believe. Like there's a lot of just just call him Vivek. It's time. Bring in Sam. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wonder um, uh, I wonder how the trust process people in, uh, in Philly would take Sam Hinkie going somewhere else. I feel like they'd take it well. I, I, feel like they, I think they'd actually love that. I think, I think that they'd be, be like, really happy that their guy got yeah. another job. Yeah. I think they wouldn't be happy if it was an Eastern Conference, like if the Cavs had yeah. hired him or something. That would not have gone over well. But like uh, the Kings, is, they're, just, they're just sad. I think so people just feel bad for them because Kings fans are awesome and just that situation is just still a disaster and nothing works but um I still like Scalabi CA. He's still one of my guys. He's fine. But yeah, perfectly fine. acceptable player. Yeah. <laughs> um but the Wolves, they are I believe as of right now the 8th seed at the playoffs started today, yes. which could be fun if uh Jimmy Butler is back for round 1 of the playoffs. And you get Jimmy Butler, Wiggins, and Towns versus the Rockets. They're not beating the Rockets because that defense is still terrible, but it would be an entertaining series. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the nice thing about the Western Conference is that, like, the series are going to be fun. Um, you know, pretty much whoever you get. Um, I, I w- yeah, I would enjoy that. I would enjoy watching. I just want, I want to watch Towns in the playoffs. That guy's so freaking good. Um, yeah. I, I would just like to see what he can do and, um, I don't, I don't think they would have any, I think they would just get shot out of the building real quick. I think it would probably be over, especially, you know, depending on where Butler's at. But I, I, I think that would probably be a sweep, but I would like to see Minnesota in the playoffs. I used to cover, um, right. I used to uh, be a Timberwolves blogger. So I follow a lot of Minnesota fans and Minnesota fans are great. They're really fun. They're funny. They, they've been through almost as much as much as Kings fans. Um, it's, you know, it would be nice to see them get at least a little bit of postseason success in a year where it would just it would just be such a disaster this season, even given all the injuries, um, if they didn't make the postseason. Like I just I just think that would be really, really bad for for morale and for the team. But all that said, like this is their best season since two thousand three. Yeah. Even if they miss the playoffs right now, this is their best season since two thousand three when they won fifty eight games under Flip. Isn't that almost more depressing though? Like like if your best season <laughs> since two thousand three, then you don't make the postseason. Like my, yeah. ugh, yeah, that's that's, <laughs> that's rough. Um, I I don't know. I still think it's it's kind of sad where it's like the season has just been so good for them overall that to fumble it down the stretch would really suck. But yeah, I mean they have the Hawks next up. Who Ben Simmons? I don't know if you saw last night was joking with Cat 
about who they were playing next, and he was like, who are you playing next? And Cat was like, the Hawks. And Ben basically like laughed it off like, oh, yeah, I'd be all right. <laughs> like, the Hawks are now a running joke in Fortnite between NBA superstars. Um, <laughs> so they have the Hawks. They go to Dallas, Jazz at home, at Denver, which could be a huge game, and then at the Lakers. I think they... Those are all winnable games. Yeah. They should definitely win the next two. Like, they just lost to the Grizzlies, so never good to lose to the Grizzlies. Um, but yeah, I think they're going to make the playoffs. I just think they're going to be a bottom seed, and it kind of sucks because they were in that four spot for most of this year. And if they had gotten to host a first round, I think they definitely could have made uh, made it to the second round and been, I don't know if a problem because their defense just, still just isn't there. But at the same time, if you get them matched up with the Thunder in a seven-game series in round one, I think they beat the Thunder. Jimmy, I think, would just take... Uh, I'd love to see Steven Adams and Cat go at one another for a full series. Just yeah. seeing how Steven Adams just deals with him. But I would pick them over the Thunder in a seven-game series. I wouldn't pick them over the Rockets or the Warriors. But Thunder? Yeah. Blazers? Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Blazers uh, might is a maybe. I love what the Blazers have done, but this is all recent. Just like, I mean... The timber, the first part of the season matters too. Yeah, and the Blazers weren't at this point beginning, and things are clicking. And they, Neil O'Shea is preaching the continuity factor, and these guys all know each other. And this is finally what happened. They have a top ten defense and all that. It's great. I, I think Jimmy Butler, Andrew Wiggins, and Cat will be a problem for Portland in round one if that's how it actually ends up going down. Like they could get the Spurs in round one if yeah. Kawhi's back. I'm probably taking the Spurs. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's uh, I think seeding is going to be cr- so crazy in the West. And I just hope the Wolves get somebody that they actually could beat. So I just want them out of the 7-8 range. That's yeah. Yeah. Seeding's insane in both conferences. Um, so the, the Wolves, like you said, I think I would take them over. I, I think I would take them over Portland. Um, Dame has been unreal. Uh, and I mean, he's just like, he, he's, he belongs in the MVP conversation. Like he's been that good. Um, but the like I don't know I, I playoff Teague like he does step up he is better in in the in the bigger games I mean there was like Zach Lowe had a whole thing on him um in his last ten things and it, it was it was really good uh and he's really good so yeah I think I think the Wolves could potentially make a run um that would be really fun to see um <laughs> one thing I wanted to bring up too that I, I forgot to earlier that has to do with mm-hmm. seeding and the Celtics is um. If you look at the, the way the Eastern Conference right now breaks down, the uh, it goes Toronto, Boston, and then Cleveland. But mm-hmm. behind Cleveland, by half a game, are both the Pacers and the Sixers, both mm-hmm. of whom have like reasonably acceptable schedules coming up here. Um, Cleveland's schedule, if I recall correctly, is like kind of 50-50. Like, it could, it could kind of go either way. Um, I was looking at it because I was wondering if they could catch the Celtics. Um, and it looks like it would be kind of tough to run the table. They've got like winnable games, but it's like the Pelicans and like teams like that who are good. Um, and it would just be difficult to win that many straight games against all of those guys. Um, so re- realistically, the Eastern Conference, the Cavs and the Raptors could very easily meet in the Eastern Conference semis. Which would be really interesting. I mean, those two teams are both teams that could easily make it to the finals. Um, and if they manage to knock each other out, I mean, we could be talking about the Sixers in the Eastern Conference semis. If the Celtics aren't fully healthy, we could be talking about the Sixers in the Eastern Conference finals. Like, that's not impossible. I think the Celtics match up pretty well with the Sixers, and I think they would probably end up beating them. But, like, that's not out of the question. 
Neither so, is Pacers. Neither are the Pacers. The Pacers can be Oh, no, the Pacers are out of the question. They're losing round one. Just go ahead and okay. write that down, Tom. They, All right. They're losing round one. Oladipo Chase one. hates they, they Victor force a lot of turnovers. I wrote it down. All right. <laughs> like Oladipo. <laughs> um, people have lost their mind, I think, with Oladipo, where it's gotten to the point where we just... Uh, I like Oladipo a lot, and I like it. The season's been fun. They force a lot of turnovers. They play fast. Uh, they're just, they're a fun team. I don't like Dad Young at all. He's one of the most annoying players to watch on a game to game basis. I can see what he does matters, but it's not aesthetically pleasing. Sure. It's it's awful. I, I hate watching him play, but I can see that he's important to a team. Um, they're losing round one, and also with your seeding stuff, this is what's going to bother me, and this is going to come back to bite me because I've been pounding the the Wizards are a team built for the playoffs, not the regular season drum all year long. Like I've been a wizard's truther all year long. Just when they get wall back, Sadoransky is going to be able to play 12 minutes tonight. And then he's going to be like, he's been great for them backing up wall. You don't have to play Frazier. You don't have to play Ramon sessions, yep. all that trash out of there. So then they, cause rotations shrink anyway. So if they're down to their best eight, their best eight is really, really good. It's just nine, 10, 11, 12, 13 is an absolute dumpster fire. So if you're able to play at Beal's taking an, a step forward. Otto Porter has been great. He can shoot. He does all kinds of good stuff for them. Kelly Oubre is taking another step. Gortat's playing a lot better as of late. Mahimi is fine. Like when they don't have to play Jody Meeks, when they don't have to play these other guys and they can just focus on their eight and those guys are healthy, they are a playoff problem. And I just think if they get matched up with the Cavs in round one, I'm going to be super pissed because they're losing to the Cavs, I think. And yeah. I, Yovan, I, I know you're listening, and I know you're going to say something to me about this because I said I would still take them, but I, I just I wouldn't feel good. At, LeBron's not losing in round one, unfortunately. It's just not happening. But the Wizards might sweep the Pacers in round one if they get them. Yeah. <laughs> and I want the Wizards to get them. And like My dream scenario is Wizards getting to the second round and playing the Raptors, who don't want anything to do with Washington in round two. That's going to eh. be a problem. I, I don't think so. I don't think you want a team like Washington. Maybe. I, mean, I guess you'd rather have Washington than Cleveland. Right. That's my thing. Because yeah. if you get to the but second round. then you get round... Kyrie versus LeBron in round two. That's what we all want. We want Kyrie versus yeah. LeBron. Well, it, it might be more likely that you would get Kyrie versus LeBron if the Celtics and the Cavs made the Eastern Conference Finals. Because um, we'll see how healthy. I don't healthy think that's and... happening. Yeah. No, I, I think the Raptors. I mean, it's a disaster if the Raptors don't get to at least the Eastern Conference Finals. I agree. I also, I, in a second round series, I think I would pick LeBron. Um, and that's, and that's a risky pick obviously, but I just think that like, I do think that there are real problems with the Cavs. Obviously their defense is terrible. I don't think that's going to be fixed in the postseason. Um, but I just think that, and I, and I think that those problems aren't going to go away in the postseason, but I think they will be slightly mitigated, um, just by having LeBron fully, fully engaged, fully trying like every possession on both ends, like just doing what he does in the playoffs. And I, I just, I don't know. I, I, I think, I, I think that the step, the small step forward after the two steps back that Cleveland took this year will be enough to push them over Toronto. I, and that's, and that's a, somebody who really believes in Toronto. I think they're really good, but I just, I don't know that I believe in them over LeBron yet. Are we sure the Wizards can't make the finals? <laughs> I, I feel pretty sure about it. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I don't. I don't share your Wizards optimism here. Uh, they're look. They're they're good. Bradley Beal is legit awesome. That guy is really good at basketball. John Wall is obviously awesome. Um, I hope he comes back healthy. I hope that they don't all 
engage in bench fisticuffs over something stupid. Um, I don't know. I'm not a uh, I'm not a Wizards believer on the level. You're you not are. a believer in a closing five of Wall, Beal, Porter, Ubre, and Keefe. It's it's good. I'm not that. I don't know. <laughs> um, I am much more a believer in Toronto's stars. I think they're better. Um, okay. I, I think that I'm more a believer in their. Wait, defense. who do you think's better than who? This is an interesting conversation because I think I'm. I don't know if this is a contrarian point of view, but I think Lowry, I would take over Wall, but I would still take Close. Beal over DeRozan without question. Yeah, I think that's fair. DeRozan's been okay. awesome this year. Yeah. Um, shooting threes now. Shooting threes a little bit now. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's okay. So their stars are very close to me, extremely close. Um, and DeRozan's a lot older than Bradley Beal. Bradley Beal yeah, already yeah, yeah, like yeah. we're already put like it's already a question, and oh, that's yeah, not good. For sure, DeRozan took years and years and years, and Beal's there. Yeah, no. If I was trading for one of them for like the future of my franchise, obviously I would take Bradley Beal. Uh, I think that's no question. Um, but just talking about like the postseason this year, I, I think the stars are very close, and then I just think the rest of the roster is just so much better um, for Toronto. Uh, Porter's a good player, probably overpaid, but he's he's good. Um, but I, I just I don't know. Markeith Morris is is a, like an acceptable player. He's he's good in his role as like in in that lineup of like a small ball kind of guy. Um, Ubre's good. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just think that I Toronto's mean, they're still ninth in offensive efficiency without Wall. They're fourteenth in defense. Like I just, I think they would be top ten in both if they had Wall for the full season. Yeah, I could see that. I just, <laughs> I just think Toronto and Cleveland and Boston. I'm trying are all to better. sell you on the Wizards. Join <laughs> me, Tom. Oh, they're all fine. Like they're all. The, I think they would all win that. I think they would all win those series. I, I wouldn't even like feel super comfortable taking them over. Like. I don't know, other teams in the Eastern Conference. And that's not against the Wizards. I just think that everybody's pretty bunched up right now. Um, and I will also say... shorting 47% from three this year. Porter, 43. He's been good. They're both, they've both been good. Keith is shooting 38%. It's, it's the Wizards year. <laughs> <laughs> You've clearly given the Wizards a lot more thought than I have. Um, I think I've watched them a lot this year. And I remember I was so mad because um, I think it was about a month ago. They were playing. It was one of those players only nights. So I guess it was a Tuesday night, which are not good, by the way. But it was the night that Amari revealed his new look. Um, and they were playing the Bucks in the road. Yeah, yeah. And the Wizards blew them out in the first quarter. Like their five-man unit was just torching. Milwaukee. Milwaukee just didn't know what to do. They weren't putting the ball in Giannis's hand enough. It was just, it was ugly. And Beal and Porter were just obliterating these guys. And it was without Wall. And it, you just saw, and you see, like, Beal's just a superstar now. And he's just, when he wants to, he can take over games. I, I saw that face, Tom. They can't see your <laughs> face, but I saw your face. Beal's a superstar. It, he'd be appreciated more on a different team. But uh, I love Bradley Beal. And I, I just, that team, when they had those five guys in, it's just they're a problem, and they blow teams out when those like they had the best five man unit last year, um, by plus minus. Do you remember that? Like that was the whole yeah. thing was like yeah, the yeah. Wizards have their five. That's a playoff thing though. It's like rotation shorten up, and that hurts teams like the Raptors and the Celtics. But it it's great for teams like the Wizards who only need to play like eight guys because the rest of their bench is terrible because Ernie Grunfeld doesn't know how to build a bench year after year. Yeah. No, I. I agree with that. I think that they would maybe take a game off Cleveland. Uh, 
<laughs> I don't know, man. It would take multiple games. This disrespect towards Washington. <laughs> it's got to stop, Tom. All right. It's not even meant to be disrespect. I think they're a good team, but I think that Bradley Beal is a star. Um, I think he's really, Wait, really uh, good. This is a good question. Yeah. Do you think the Wizards would beat the Celtics in a seven-game series? I. All right. So that are, we're talking about a first-round series here? Second round. Second round series. So Kyrie's mm-hmm. presumably back. They might, and they might have smart back as like, well. Like, let's say the Wizards fall to the three, or I guess, how would they get? Because the Celtics are locked into a two seed. Uh, pretty much. Yeah. They yeah. they would have to, their magic number after Cleveland lost last night is two, and they have games against um, Atlanta and Chicago remaining. Um, they are three and a half games behind the Raptors. Um, but they do have two head to heads. So like, hmm. it's not super likely, um, but that is kind of still in play, especially if they win tonight and bring it back down to three. So, okay. But let's say the stars align and they get Boston in round two. Would you take, it's like Kyrie's return and everything else. John Wall's fully healthy. Who are you taking in the seven game series there? I think I'm still taking the Celtics. Um, uh, I think okay. it's close. Uh, I, you know, Does it go seven and, and I wouldn't be, and I, and I wouldn't be, some, I, I uh, see, I, I think that seven games isn't always like the best indicator of whether a series was close. Cause I mean, obviously like if you go up three, two and you win a very, very, very close game six, then that's a, you know, you could almost call it a seven game series. It just happened. Yeah. The one game kind of broke that way. So I, I don't know. Um, I think it would really depend on how, how things kind of shook out. Um, I think I would take the Celtics, but I wouldn't be surprised if Washington won. Um, they're, you know, they, they, they've got stars. Um, it would really help to have Smart back for the Celtics in that series. Uh, he makes a big difference, especially on Beal. He really does a great job on Beal. Um, and I think if you can limit him, then you kind of hamstring their offense in a lot of other ways. Um, but, yeah. But do they have a Sadoransky stopper? I don't think Rozier is ready for Tomas, if we're being honest. <laughs> well, um, <laughs> I, that, I can't argue with that logic I guess uh, I think he is but <laughs> the Hawks are terrible so I think I've just latched onto the Wizards fair I enough te- yeah. I, um, the Hawks are in fact terrible and we talked about this I think it was last year that they should tank and then start getting like good players mm-hmm. and uh, turns out and they that... have at least one they have at least one good player yeah uh, John I... Collins is and I can't get this out of my head someone called him Baby Amari and I can't unsee it. He gobbles up offensive rebounds. He gobbles up just boards in general. He's He can rise up, and it's just uh, he can't shoot at all. And I don't think he'll ever be a, a shooter, but he just seems like a mod. Like, kind of Clint Capelli, where it's just like you're not going to ask him to do a whole lot. He's going to be a rim runner, but he's going to be a problem on the boards. Like, that dude's just going to grab yeah. every kind of rebound. And he's just the guy who's, like, always going to have a great plus minus. <laughs> like, yeah. it's just when he's on the floor, things are just better. Yeah, I think it'll be really interesting to see what having a uh, a baby Amari would or like an Amari would look like in the modern game. Because um, yeah. it would be interesting to see what Amari Stoudemire looks like um, today. But yeah, no, I think Collins is good. Um, I think they're going to get a really good player in this year's draft. I think they Doncic. could get... Yeah, could be Doncic. I, everybody's... I'm going to be 100% honest. I am like I am as obsessed with the draft as just about anybody can be. Um and mm-hmm. I have just not had enough time to watch Doncic. So with him, I have like like I have like people who are like oh Doncic is like the european mystery like no like i just haven't had time to watch um you know sp- spanish basketball like i've been watching a lot of ncaa what are you doing, i catch tom? more what, like you haven't had time for spanish basketball on your weekly schedule like what's what's well, going on tom <laughs> 
Well, I mean, and that's and that is a bit of a that is a bit of a flaw in a year when mm. the potential one or two pick is, you know, in, in there. Um, I will not hold it against but, you. But I do think that there are so many guys that would be really good for Atlanta that are not Luka Doncic as well. Um, so I think, um, you know, not Michael Porter. Want not, nothing to do with Michael Porter Jr. All right, so here's mm-hmm. my here's my thing with Michael Porter Jr. Right, I saw okay. that guy multiple times in high school, and every mm-hmm. time I saw him, I was like, "That is a future NBA superstar, not a star, a superstar." That guy is awesome. When he's people full. said the exact same thing about Harrison Barnes. That's fine. When <laughs> he he's, is Harrison if, Barnes 2.0. Oh, he's not. No, 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 no. no. I it's will. Happening. <laughs> no, that that doesn't even look. Porter, like he was not even close to healthy. That much was evident. Um, he is so much better as a shooter than okay. than Harrison Barnes. He's an unbelievable shooter. Um, he and like high school, we're talking about like pull ups off the dribble, um, coming around screens from like thirty feet. Like he's he's a legit NBA shooter at you know at his height, and not just like a pick and pop guy either. And that's going to be something that's going to drive me nuts if an NBA offense tries to use him that way. I think the only way that Porter doesn't become a star is if he's not is if that back prop problem is like real and lasting um he's he's really good um and i i wouldn't be comfortable taking him in the top five or six because of that back problem but i think he's really good Hmm. i think he's gonna go five or six he's gonna be a king he feels like a king to me i would love that i think he's gonna be awesome would you yeah i hope he's healthy uh why would you want to send a player you like to sacramento after everything we've seen um speaking of is Giorgio Papiana still a blazer I saw he signed a 10-day contract after he got released after going in the lottery just a few years ago by the I, have, I have no idea if he's still on the blazers I hope so hope hopeful for that guy um yeah I don't know I think Porter would be uh he'd be an interesting fit next to La BCA um he would give some spacing um for Fox uh, what I does like, that do to Justin Jackson and his spot in the rotation? I, I think you live with it. Yeah, <laughs> I, think, I, like I, think it. It's, I think you take the six foot ten, seven foot two wingspan guy who can shoot threes off the dribble. Myself, theoretically though, De'Aaron Fox, Buddy Hield, Porter, Libby C.A. and Willie Colley Stein is not a bad five man unit. I would watch that man. I would watch that five man unit uh, quite a bit. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, but they still need a lot of changes and yes. a new coach. But. Yes. Uh, Speaking of new coaches, this is the last thing I want to touch on. The Knicks are expected to target Doc Rivers and Mark Jackson. Um, go ahead and cross off Doc Rivers. I don't think that's happening. That's like one of those things where like we do this over and over again. The Knicks are talking to a big name. <laughs> they might do it this time. They might get him. And uh, Mark Jackson's way more realistic. I could see it. And uh, my favorite little nugget at the end of this Mark Berman post there are also reports that David Blatt could be a candidate because of his close relationship with Steve Mills. It's just, I would love Blatt back in the NBA. Put him in New York. Oh, the clashes with Chris Dapps and whoever they draft in the lottery this year. Just, oh, yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that All those names were extremely prototypical New York. Uh, I mean... Like, I mean, even even their, you know, even their recent hires have all been like name guys. Like, so, yeah, I think that I would never expect them to go out and try to find like the next Brad Stevens in the college system or, you know, try to make a sort of outside the box hire. Uh, It just isn't just isn't what they do on the table. He's available. Hey, uh, I would be I would be entertained. I will put it that way. Uh, I would definitely he definitely knows how to offer people the most money. I'm surprised that, uh, oh, that was a good joke. Um, <laughs> I am surprised <laughs> that uh, I did not see um, Calipari's name in this post. 
<laughs> yeah, I, I figured he would be in there, especially with the Kentucky have an underwhelming year. Not, uh, I, I don't know. I, at some point, he's going to go back to the NBA, right? And he coached the Nets um, years and years ago, but uh, I could see that happening. I, Is just, he going back to the NBA? I feel like he's his own little kingdom now. Like he's, yes, he's in his own. Like if you're a college coach, like especially if you're a premier college coach with everything going on with the investigations, everything, don't you want to get out of there? Like before Maybe. it gets too bad and too chaotic? I, I don't know. It seems like it's a ticking time bomb if you're the head coach of a big time university before you go down for something. It could be. It would be hilarious though if he hung around um, because he was so confident that he was clean this whole time. Like if he was, imagine if John Calipari was clean this whole time and like everybody else was just cheating, 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 cheating everywhere else. But like Cal was the clean one because he, because he knew he had all these eyes on him. Like, I mean, that probably isn't the case, but it'd be fun. (laughs) Who knows? I, I, I'm not going to pretend to know anything about any of this, but, uh, yeah, he, uh, he'd be interesting. I don't, I don't know who the right guy is, but I just think it's so sad because if you look at just right over in Brooklyn, like Kenny Atkinson has developed Joe Harris into a good NBA player. Yep. Like they plucked him out of Atlanta. Like he was yep. just a long-term player development guy and he's been amazing in Brooklyn. I just don't know why New York's not looking over like, Hey, we don't have to go after a big name. We can just go and like, there's a lot of good coaches that like what's going on with Messina. Like, let's go see MA Udoka. Like there yeah. are all kinds of guys. He could just go up and down the list of like, why are we not just targeting someone? Even if they don't have experience, like, I, and I think it's a little bit more difficult to handle being the head coach of the Knicks for sure. So there is a little bit of trepidation, I think, of hiring a no name because they might not respond well to being the head coach of the Knicks <laughs> because it's just hard. And I, I don't know. It's kind of like the Lakers where, I mean, Luke Walton had to put up with a lot of nonsense he did. from the get go, no matter how, like, and he was 39 and four as the head coach of the Warriors for a little bit. Like, and he still had to put up with it in LA. I, I don't know. I don't think it's an attractive job, even though they still have Porzingis, but you won't have him for at least the first half of next year. Um, they still have a lot of question marks up and down the roster. They are a team that's dead set on shooting the mid-range. Yep. And Jeff Hornacek was like beating that drum all year and it did not pan out. I do feel bad for him because he kind of got screwed over in a multitude of ways, but uh, that's probably for another podcast. But um, I, I don't know. I, I just... I don't know who the right guy is in New York. I don't think Scott Perry is the right general manager. They still have Steve Mills. It's just, I feel so bad for Knicks fans because they're going to hire Mark Jackson and it's just going to be, it's going to be bad. If you want a small amount of positivity for Knicks fans, um, you could keep in mind that, and this isn't about the coaching. Like they're going to make a terrible decision that obviously, um, Oh my God, it's going to be Frank Vogel. He's getting fired this off season. And Frank Vogel is going to the Knicks. Is he a big enough name? Is he a big enough Uh, name? I think he is. Eastern Conference Finals just like four or five years ago. Was it longer than that? How long? Ago I feel like I feel like the Knicks would rather have Mark Jackson. I feel like they would rather have that mm. kind of a that kind of name recognition. Because um, like Mark Jackson is a bigger name than Frank Vogel, and it's just because he's on TV all the time. But is he still? I think that was maybe true three years ago. I don't know if he is now. And Vogel's from maybe. Jersey. I think he could handle it. Yeah, maybe it's gonna be Vogel. um anyway the good news is that this draft has enough players that they're going to get somebody good uh where are they at now nine uh yeah they could there there's nine very good very fun players in this year's draft i feel i don't even know what they should target though right like i guess another league guard yeah uh league guard would be good um if you especially i mean so then you're looking at trey young which i i mean him and elkina actually might not be a bad fit next to each other it could work yeah 
Um, let's see here. The other guys. They don't need another big. They need to have KP at the five. And then they, if it's going to be someone else, Porter would make sense there. Porter would be fun there. If he slipped. Um, yep. And, and then, yeah, but then you're talking about like Macau Bridges. You're talking about my, uh, you know, Miles Bridges. You're talking about, Wait, you know, which one's if, the one who went to Villanova. Macau. I like him. He's good. Yeah, he I I was I just actually covered the Elite Eight that they were in, and he didn't do much. Um, he was they basically I I got a little bit worried about him just because defensively he's going to be a monster. Offensively, it's just kind of easy to limit a guy whose primary thing is shooting. Um, it, and like and he doesn't have that much else. Um, but he's he's good in transition. Um, and yeah, he the will. Knicks need shooting. They, they need do need shooting. Shoot that is and true. He can shoot, and he'll be um, and he'll be a really good defensive player. So that's not bad. Know, Put him next to Neil Akina if Neil Akina exactly, is fully realized. Yeah. That could be fun. Oh God, Colin Sexton! Can you imagine him and Nilakina just <laughs> annoying the shit out of everybody on a weekly game? Hey, that'd be fun. Those that would two, be fun. I don't know if it'd work long term, but it would be there's very not a lot, annoying. There's not a lot of shooting there. Um, a lot of confidence though. Tons of confidence. <laughs> and I'm just talking about Colin Sexton. I don't know how confident Nilakina is, but yeah, tons Nilekina's of confidence. confident, dude. All right, well that's good to know. Yeah, I mean he's an amazing defensive player in year one. Like he is. Yeah. I, I still don't know about his shot and everything else, but. Uh, Turns out being long and knowing how to use your length in the NBA is pretty important. So Useful thing. Nilekina is pretty good. Yep. All right, man. Well, is there anything else coming out this week that we should be looking out for on MassLive.com? Duh, just uh, tons of coverage. The uh, the Celtics have one more away game on this road trip tonight against Utah, um, and then they will be back against the Raptors for the first of those head-to-head matchups on, on Saturday. So that'll be a big game. Um, should be a lot of fun, but, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's about the extent of it. Just, uh, tons of Celtics all the time. Do you think the Raptors are going to out-rebound the Celtics in those games? Uh, probably. Celtics are a lot better on, on the boards this year, though. They are. Um, all right, man. Well, this is a lot of fun. I appreciate you taking the time and coming back on. Uh, we can find you on Twitter at Tom underscore NBA. We can read you at MassLive.com where you can find all the Market Smart news that you didn't <laughs> know you needed in your day-to-day life. Uh, Tom, I really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. All right, Seth Cox of Revenge of the Birds, SB Nation's Arizona Cardinals blog is on the line now. Seth, I wrote about why I still believe in general manager Steve Keim and his plan and where the Cardinals are going. Do you agree with me? Are you still a believer in the Keim era? I think you have to be. I mean, first, thanks for letting me come on the show and talk with you. But, uh, you know, I think you have to be with the fact that the last five years have been, you know, the winning in Arizona Cardinals history, uh, which is, you know, good and, and bad in and of itself. But they, they've become a team that is expected to And, uh, you know, Bruce Arians' retirement and their inability to find a quarterback for post-Carson Palmer, you know, before Carson Palmer left, really – really put a damper on what time has done so far. And so for him to be able to rebound and find a quarterback in Sam Bradford, who when healthy is a, a very average, but in the NFL, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Quarterback and a guy that, you know, is consistently right around that seven to eight win season. You know, you have to, you have to be okay with that. Uh, I know some people scoff at the, 
at the numbers that came out. But in reality, it's basically a $15 million deal with incentives up to $20 million if he plays 16 games. So when you look at all of that, I think he did a nice job of trying to recover from what was a bad uh, start to the offseason after what was, you know, an eight-game season and, and the end of an era. Yeah, and I think they kind of overachieved. They lost David Johnson. Palmer wasn't able to stay healthy. But the Cardinals are so interesting because I think people are way too hard on this team and where they're going in this offseason. Kimes had to deal with it a lot because, I mean, he lost his coach, and that was up in the air all season. And Bruce Arians, as you're very well aware of, was a little annoyed at just the retirement talks and everything going on with his health and everything. And then Carson Palmer's uncertainty and Larry Fitzgerald's uncertainty. Like Steve Kimes had a tough job and having to clean out the coaching staff. Cause I mean, obviously if Bruce Arians wanted to still be there, he'd still be the head coach right now, but uh, unfortunately had to move on and he was a great coach and that was a great hire from Kime. And he's also like, I think 49, 30 and one as general manager, I believe it's the best five year stretch of any Cardinals general manager in history. So maybe he knows what he's doing. He's just he's had to deal with a lot of turnover, and I I just feel like when you look across the landscape this off season, I I could definitely see a scenario where Steve Wilkes is like one of the best coaches among the last like couple years in their hiring process. Like I think he has potential to be like one of those guys that everyone's like, oh, why didn't we take a chance on him just because he had not been a coach before and he'd only been in DC for like a year in Carolina, but the Giants were close with him and just. I, I don't know. I think he's going to be really good, and I love the Mike McCoy hire. I thought he kind of got a raw deal in Denver, and he's better suited to be an offensive coordinator. So it looks like now this head coaching staff, is, and I mean this coaching staff and just the way their roster is set up and the way that they've assembled this coaching staff, I think you're going to get more continuity now because I don't think McCoy's going to go anywhere. You know Wilkes is going to be there for the long term. And you're building the QB room. You mentioned Bradford. You mentioned, uh, well, they also signed Mike Glennon, who did not work out in Chicago this past year, to say the least. But I think there, we're, what we're seeing is the importance of a QB room and how it's a, I don't see it being a bad thing to have Glennon and Bradford, especially because I don't think Kime's done because all, by all accounts, he was, he loved Pat Mahomes last year and he like was enamored with Mitch Trubisky, but you know, they couldn't move up and you know, he might move up this year. We'll see. I, I just think Kime deserves the benefit of the doubt. And I still like what they're doing. And I don't know. I think when, uh, when you have the best general manager in your franchise's history, maybe trust him and be a little patient. Maybe. Well, and I think one of the biggest things is what's going on with how you're seeing, you know, Seattle kind of revamp and rebuild themselves. But then on the same, token, you see how the Los Angeles Rams are basically going for it at this point. They're, you know, they're going for a Super Bowl with their, and, and they're signing um, you know, high-end players. They're trading for high-end players. And, and that makes it tough for fans to stomach signing Sam Bradford, you know, signing Andre Smith and, and those being your you know, quote-unquote moves. The, the biggest you know, or best move of the offseason was the signing of Justin Pugh, who's a very talented offensive lineman, but you know, they got him at a slight discount because he's been plagued with injuries um, throughout his career. And so when you look at it, it, when you juxtapose that to what the San Francisco 49ers at the Los Angeles Rams are doing uh, in the NFC West, not to mention, you know, what's going on in Minnesota, Philadelphia, and New Orleans, the NFC, 
it, it is hard to it is hard to get excited about what would be looked at as you know kind of mundane signings of Sam Bradford and Andre Smith and Justin Hugh and Mike Lennon and going, all right, I mean, is this team any better than last year? Probably not, but like you said, they overachieved last year, and if they're and if they go eight and eight in this, what is without a doubt a transition year, or even like a seven and nine, that's still a good season from time because, like you said, he was he was handcuffed with a lot of decisions. Uh, he was cash strapped on top of losing his quarterback uh, and his head coach. They had no money. I mean, they had to they had to be really creative with all their cap spending. I think. Like I said, Bradford's deal is basically $15 million this year. Um, and then next year, it, it goes up, escalates to $25 million if he plays all 16 games and is on the roster next year. Uh, when you look at Justin Pugh, his cap is like three, three and a half million this year. So, yeah, they signed him for $9 million a year, but they are only paying him $3.5 because they don't have any money. So when, when you look at all of that, they were never going to be players for – her cousins or Andrew Norwell or, or any of the big names. They, were, they weren't going to be able to trade assets for Akeem Tlaib and Marcus Peters because those trades would be kind of pointless to an extent because they're not going to really be in contention for a Super Bowl this year, but they are, they are transitioning to a new regime, a new era of Arizona Cardinals football. And, and like you said, Steve Kimes overseeing that. It's not like they lost their general manager as well. So like you said, give give him the benefit of the doubt, even though, you know, it may not make a lot of sense. At this point, it looks like they're working to tread water and, and stay where they're at as they as they get revamped for a run and, and a change in 2019 and 2020 when they have over $100 million in cap space. Yeah, and I, I, they're going to get David Johnson back, which uh, it turns out is a significant thing. Uh, but they were able to like kind of temporarily rev- revitalize Adrian Peterson's career for a couple of games, so that was that was something. But um, I do wonder though how much Steve Keim like regrets letting Calais Campbell walk because he. I mean, I guess you because Kim Dietschy was a first round pick that you kind of needed to see what you had there. But that has not gone well. That's like the one thing where it. It did seem like, oh, he really missed on that one, like letting Calais Campbell walk because he was so critical to that Jaguars defense this past year being one of the best in football. Uh, but on the flip side, the Cardinals are still probably going to have a top 10 defense in defensive DVOA this season. Like Steve Wilkes is a defensive ma- mastermind. Like he had that Panthers defense rolling and you would assume that there would not be a drop off from Becker who went to New York. Um, I, I just don't see a way where the Cardinals really fall that far defensively. And if you get a quarterback in this draft and Mike McCoy, who we all thought was a brilliant offensive mind when he was coaching Peyton Manning and when he was getting a lot out of Phillip Rivers and putting him in the MVP conversation in San Diego, like there's a scenario where they could be nine and seven. And um, I think it's possible. A lot of it will come down to if they trade up for a quarterback and I just, I wouldn't roll it out. Like a lot of people are talking about the Broncos and uh, are the Giants going to trade down or do the Bills try and trade up? Do like a lot of different teams, will they do it? The Dolphins, I would actually, if I had to bet on any of the teams jumping into the top four to get a quarterback, I think the Cardinals would be my number one pick because I, I just don't think Kime's the kind of guy who is going into this fall believing that Sam Bradford can play 16 games and believing that Mike Glennon's the answer too. I don't think... 
that's his thought process. I, I just think they're going to get somebody. I don't know who it is, but I, I, I really do feel like the Cardinals are going to trade up for a quarterback. Yeah, and they may. And, and one of the things that, you know, makes it possible this year is, is depending on, you know, how they address the rest of, of free agency. And, and like I said, the cap space they have in 2019. And, and when you look at out into the 2019 NFL draft right now, there's not a quarterback that is, you know, drawing comparisons like Josh Rosen or Sam Darnold or, or Josh Allen were last year. Yeah, you might have a Baker Mayfield show up type that, you know, plays really well, but th- there's not that top guy, that consensus guy already. And, and last year when you looked at it, you know, at this time, everybody knew Darnold, everybody knew Allen and Rosen already, and they were already talking about these guys. So, you know, if, if you if you don't, or don't foresee a, a quarterback uh, being available in, in 2019, then yeah, then then you take that chance and you roll the dice and you trade away next year's first round pick and you go up and try to get a quarterback. Uh, but w- when you look at the Cardinals as a whole, they've been you know they've been really conservative in the first round in terms of trading up, and and you also wonder if if that plays into the desire to trade up now. Is you know they they know that they had. Pat Mahomes or Deshaun Watson, if they would have given up a first round pick last year and they just chose not to, and and now they're sitting here going, well, we we set up ourselves up to be in this position by not being aggressive. So do we, you know, do we take a chance and do we be aggressive? Because that's the other thing is while while it's not fair, it, the the expectations for the Arizona Cardinals are going to be much lower in 2018 uh, than they were in 2016 and 2017. I mean. You look at the ESPN power rankings, well, they're, they're like 28th in the NFL already. I mean, they're, they're considered to be one I'm of the I'm going to go ahead and say they're going to outperform that 28th projection. I, I'll go ahead and put my name on that. <laughs> but, but when you look at that, you know, that, that does give you time to revamp and rebuild yeah. in a sense because your expectations are low. So, you know what, if you trade away a first-round pick in 2019, and like, you, like you and I have talked about, you know, you end up in that 7-9 to nine win you know, area, you're, you're still going to be picking in that 12 to 18 category in, in 2019. And if you get the quarterback of the future for your team, then that's completely worth it. Yeah, I would agree. And it's just, if you really want to get a quarterback, you sometimes have to go above and beyond and trade a future first round pick and that kind of thing. Like, I don't think the Eagles are regretting signing Sam Bradford to a lot of money, signing Chase Daniel, and then still trading up for Carson Wentz. Like, it all worked out. But it's one of those things where if you really do want to go get a quarterback, a franchise guy, you have to trade up. The Rams did it. Everybody, like, everybody who has a quarterback right now and all the good teams, it's just, more often than not, you're going to have to do it. And also, the Cardinals are never going to be, or they never seem to be in a position where, they're going to be bad enough to draft in the top four. So if you're not ever going to be in that position, you either have to trade for a veteran who is capable of winning now, or you need to trade up. Those are your two options. And I don't think there's really a veteran quarterback they can trade for at this point. So I I think they have to trade up. And then that QB room looks amazing. Like Mike McCoy, Sam Bradford, Mike Glennon, and another rookie quarterback. I think that's a really solid foundation. I think that would go a long way with mentoring, uh, a young guy who they would bring in in that situation and it all worked. Unfortunately, they would have nobody to throw to 
this year because I believe, let me check the numbers, the Cardinals, yes, they have negative three receivers in the roster right now. And that is including Larry Fitzgerald, who is uh, still hanging around, which is nice. I don't understand why he's so loyal to Arizona. Maybe you can explain this to me because I, I, I just felt like he was going to be a Patriot at the end of his career. It seemed inevitable, and it still hasn't happened, and he's going to like retire with one team, which is really cool. But I kind of would have liked to see him go somewhere else to try and get a ring at the tail end of his career. But uh, it is interesting to see that he's uh, wanted to go the Dirk route and stay in Arizona throughout his entire career. Yeah, it's just one of those things where he, you know, he understands um, kind of the history of the NFL, and and he's talked about it quite a bit. Like he doesn't want to be like Jerry Rice at the end of his career, where he's just going to teams to try and find more receptions or, or more yards. He he wants to still be playing at a high level and, and decide when he walks away. And you know, barring injury this year, when it's all said and done, he'll walk away. You know kind of as the number two receiver in receptions and yards. And when you look at that and you and you put that up against the quarterbacks that have been throwing to him over the course of his career, you know, because outside of Kurt Warner and Carson Palmer, he's had a cavalcade of really bad quarterbacks. And, and you you look at that and then you just look at the numbers and you're like, wow, this guy, like you said, if, if he is with a Peyton Manning or, or a Tom Brady or a Philip Rivers for, for the – you know, duration of his career, what are the numbers look like um, instead of guys like, you know, Sean King and Josh Brown, uh, Matt Ryan Liner. Lindley. Yeah, Ryan Lindley and John Skelton. Oh, God, I all, forgot all about John Skelton. And that have thrown to him over the years. Uh, you know, wh- what is his what do his career numbers look like? And the fact that you're saying that for a guy that's going to finish, like I said, second in yards and second in, in catches in NFL history, uh, barring injury, that that's incredible. I would agree. Um, how much do, like how many wins do you think a healthy David Johnson all next season adds? Do you think he's that? Do we see how valuable he is to this team, or do you think with this new system it's hard to say like what uh, his, like how they're going to use him and what kind of role he's going to have? Do you think they're going to try and do a trio and try and lessen the load for him, or what is the future of David Johnson in Arizona? Well, the way Steve Wilkes has talked since he's been here is he wants to kind of go the the opposite direction of where the NFL is training. He wants to go, you know, more more in the vein of, of the Jacksonville Jaguars and be a team that relies on defense and running the balls and throwing the clock, which plays into what David Johnson, you know, wants to do as a running back and, and being able to get him a number of touches a game in series. The other thing is Michael Floyd has been a guy that utilizes uh, running backs well in, in the passing game, uh, whether it be in Denver or, or San Diego in his career. So, you know, I think it's one of those things where as long as he stays healthy, you're going to see, you know, that top five running back of David Johnson. And now you're talking about probably a larger volume uh, going his way and, and being able to do more in that sense. Um, and, and they're really putting a priority on, on making this offensive line a weapon as opposed to a, a hindrance. Uh, you know, people will kind of scoff at the idea of, of bringing in Andre Smith, but he's still a good rope blocker in the NFL. And, and when you put him on the right side with Justin Pugh and then on the left side, you have Mikey Potty, who's still a nice run blocker, and DJ Humphreys, who excels in the run game. You can see that they're building towards an offensive line that's geared towards running the football 
30 plus times a game. And, and that just plays into David Johnson, like I said, getting back to being one of the better running backs in the NFL. Yeah. And I think that'll be interesting to see how that all plays off. Um, do you think this is going to be a playoff team next year? Could it be like, what would you put the odds of the Cardinals? I mean, we still have to see how they draft and everything else, but do you think this team has a shot of making the playoffs? Because I think they do. I mean, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I, I think there's always a shot. I mean, you talk, you're talking about the NFL and, and outside of the Patriots, there's really nothing that's written in stone at, at any year. Yeah. Um, but w- when you look at the division, I think what the Rams have done in coming off a, a 11 and five season and then, and then getting more talent for Wade Phillips, who's a guy that has dealt with a, a lot of, uh, shall we say characters on defense in the past before and done it well, you know, there it's going to be tough for them to overcome the Rams barring a major onset of injuries for the Rams. So for the Cardinals, it's going to be about, like I said, finding, finding a way to get to that seven to nine win uh, scenario and, and seeing if that gets you in, into the, in, into the contention for a wild card spot. Cause right now they don't look like they're ready to for the NFC West, but they're building, they're trying to rebuild that to where, you know, maybe in 2019 and, and definitely in 2020 with likely, like we talked about a young quarterback at the helm that they'll be competing and be able to kind of, kind of mimic what the Rams have done and really go for it uh, in two or three years under Steve Wilkes. I think that's fair. I just, I'm not a believer in the Seahawks this year. I think hiring Brian Schottenheimer is going to be a disaster. Have not liked their offseason. They've drafted a lot of busts in the last couple of years. Like Bill Barnwell laid out a really great piece on what's happened with Seattle's defense and why they're not built to, this, de- this defense is not built to deal with a post Cliff Averill, Michael Bennett, Richard Sermon era because they just haven't drafted well since and they just uh, it's a really barren roster right now outside of Russell Wilson. Like if they didn't have Wilson on this roster, People will be talking about them, as, I feel like, as like a 5-11, and 4-12 and 12 team. Like, I really am low on the Seahawks offseason and where they're going next year. So if they're going to fall off for a couple of years, which I could see, that opens the door for the Cardinals to take a step up. And then you have, like, the Rams, who, like you said, like, they've gone for it. They're going for it. They're high. But they're also taking a bunch of chances. Like, putting Nadam Sue in this locker room, Marcus Peters, Akib Tlaib, like, they're adding a lot of personality, especially if they end up trading for OBJ or whoever. But, like... At some point, I do wonder if there's a tipping point with how many personalities and how many just dominant superstars do you put in one locker room, how it pans out. Like, it could, I could very much see a situation where the Rams implode next year. I, I really could because it, it just, th- we've seen this before where teams assemble a lot of talent and sometimes it just doesn't mesh well. And I, I could see it. And then the 49ers are coming. Like, I'm probably most confident in the 49ers over like the next three to five years just because I think Jimmy Garoppolo is a much better quarterback than Jared Goff and I think the 49ers are building something it's just they're still a little bit ways away like you saw that roster last year like it's still pretty barren and they're still filling a lot of holes and we'll see but Jimmy Garoppolo has not lost a game as an NFL quarterback yet which is still amazing but at the same time uh I I don't know if they're gonna jump to like 10 or 11 wins so that's why I'm just like I could see a scenario where the Cardinals win the West next year and they sneak in because they, I just, I think they're, people are doubting them and 
they overachieved last year, and if they get the right quarterback and they have a Deshaun Watson and Houston situation, would not shock me at all this fall. Yeah, and that's you know that's kind of what the goal is: is a, a guy in, in Wilkes who creates a, a scenario that that is conducive to a short-term rebuild team that is uh, competing right away. Because, like you said, you maintain a, a good defense and you revamp with a with a young offense built around running the football. And then whether it's Bradford or, or a young quarterback, you're able to take the pressure off them um, initially and, and build towards something greater. So that's, that's the ultimate goal. And, and I, you know, it's one of those things where you, you like the beginning of it, but you you're interested to see how the rest breaks down before you get um, too confident in what's going on. Last thing. And then we need to go. I love Carson Palmer. I feel like he's going to be forgotten 20 years and a lot of fans are going to grow up not with very limited memories of him, but like he was an MVP candidate a couple years ago. He was so good in Arizona and I feel bad. He never got his Kurt Warner run because that's what was supposed to happen two years ago. Right? Like they were a trendy Super Bowl pick in the NFC, not long ago at all. And then injuries and everything else just changed things. But how are you going to remember the Carson Palmer era in Arizona? And are fans going to really appreciate and remember him? And just, um, I, I don't know. I, I feel bad for him because he was just like one of those really good quarterbacks that uh, I felt never got his one his moment or never got his due around the league and from fans and analysts and stuff like that. Well, in Arizona, he's looked at very well because their quarterback history, especially while in Arizona, is so poor. I mean, you're talking about Kurt Warner, Carson Palmer being the two best quarterbacks in, in the team's history while in Arizona. And so from that perspective, you know, he's going to be remembered fondly until they get a young quarterback or, or a long-term quarterback. Um, one of the, the thing with Palmer that's going to be remembered the most is that um especially in 2014 when he when he tore his acl again it's, it's going to be kind of what if what if you know he doesn't get injured in 2014 what if he doesn't break his peak in 2015 um what what if things um go better in 2016 and they don't have all the injuries to the offensive line just just what ifs will be the kind of remembrance of war or excuse me of palmer because like you said, he was such a talented player who who did a lot for the Cardinals and put them in a position to uh, be successful. And it just it just never came to fruition, whether it be uh, because of his health or or health surrounding other players. And that's that's unfortunate for him. And but he'll he'll be looked at fondly just because part of the reality is there's never been a quarterback in Arizona who's kind of superseded what he's done and so you know until there is he'll be remembered just like Kurt Warner is as you know probably the best quarterback in in the franchise's history I don't know if that's sad or really cool that Carson Palmer is the best quarterback in the Cardinals history uh if if we're being honest it's sad but it's, okay it's the reality it's it's the reality of the Cardinals and, and who they've been as a as a franchise, especially uh since the move to Arizona. And that's why, like you said, to start the show, um, you just do kind of the benefit of the doubt because that is the Cardinals history. I mean, it really is. And and so, you know, do you really want to question the guy that's put them in the most success in, in their history? I don't know. Yeah, I'm with you. 
Well, I think Wilkes is going to work out. I love Mike McCoy. I think they're going to be aggressive. I think they're going to sign somebody. I think Peterson's still going to be awesome. Wilkes is a defensive back guy. He played defensive back in college. The defense will be fine. I don't think the Matthew stuff is really going to hurt them all that much because he's missed a lot of time in the last two years anyway. Like, I I think it's going to work out, and I think the Cardinals are going to be in good hands for the next couple of years. So, Seth, I appreciate you taking the time. We can find you on Twitter at scox on FB. We can read you at revengeofthebirds.com, the best Arizona Cardinals blog on the internet. And uh, is there anything that you got coming out this week that we should look out for? I uh, know, just our normal work at uh, Revenge of the Birds, and we'll have another uh, Rise Up Sea Red podcast that drops this week, uh, previewing the quarterbacks for the 2018 NFL draft. So, okay, well, perfect. So check out that, and uh, Seth, we'll have to do this again soon. All right, thanks, Chase. Appreciate Thank it. Have a great night. And that'll do it for today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. I uh, just want to remind you guys, if you like today's episode and you are subscribed on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, I would really appreciate if you could take a second and leave the show a five-star rating and a review. If uh, you're not an Apple Podcast listener, remember you can find the show on Spotify, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, uh, Google Play, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, be sure to check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com where you can access all of my previous episodes, and also find all my writing. I'm writing there fairly often. And also follow me on Twitter at Chase underscore Thomas and like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. Thank you for your support, and we'll be back with another episode very soon. Thanks, guys. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.